Hello and welcome to La Pausa Pod for episode number four of the current season. Every team has now played four games except for Atletico Madrid and Sevilla whose game was postponed after heavy flooding and storm alerts over the weekend. So instead of focusing on a single game, team or player, we have gone through each team and picked out 10 interesting things we have noticed and gathered some interesting stats to highlight those things. We're going to discuss them now. Firstly, Jamie, how are you doing? Very well, thanks. How are you? Good, good. So we're, and Jamie is always with me, and we're going to start, number one, observation number one from the start of the La Liga season is the man of the moment, Jude Bellingham. He is just the second midfielder this century to score in his opening four games of La Liga after Cesc Fabregas did that in 2011-2012. We've, we've named Jude Bellingham as a midfielder, which he is, but he's far more than that for this Real Madrid side. Yeah, um, incredible. I don't think anybody is surprised we've we've started with Bellingham on this one. And it's it's the first four games of a season specifically. So I, I think Cesc Fabregas in 2011-12 was playing his, his false nine role under Guardiola. And I guess Bellingham is is kind of that as well. He's, he's many things. Like, he's, he's a box-to-box midfielder. He, he's a false nine. He, he just roams pretty much everywhere. But what he's shown so far is... For, for all the things he's doing, when it comes to the sharp end of the pitch, he, he's always there in the box. And I don't think any of his five goals so far are going to win the Puskas Award. But again, that that's kind of the point. Like, he's mm. just always there. He's picking up all these scrappy goals and, and winning Real Madrid points, like, f- from the off. So, incredible start. I think that that is the point, yeah. The, the fact that he was, and I said this, previously and it looks like he was born to play for Real Madrid and there was a video going around of him Getafe obviously known for their 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 style of play very very aggressive and one of the one of the Getafe players are trying to kind of catch him with a with a shoulder a blindsided shoulder and and Bellingham was just loving it he was like let's go (laughs) (laughs) and and I was just there's that and then also yeah the, the technical ability his decision making the, the personality to to be where Real Madrid need him to be when they needed a goal against Getafe there he who popped up only Jude Bellingham and and I I can't say to have watched I I watched Jude Bellingham with Borussia Dortmund in the Bundesliga last season that often I saw him enough but and I saw him in the Champions League as well but I'm just he played two thousand six hundred ninety three minutes last year for for Dortmund and he's only played 351 this season so these stats are might be a little bit funny to begin with but he comparing him with Dortmund to comparing him with Real Madrid his defensive effort has gone down so for example his defensive action 6.3 per 90 which was in the 44th percentile for midfielders with Dortmund that's dropped to nine ninth percentile so he's only 3.6 3.6 defensive actions with Real Madrid, possession one 3.6 per 90 as well, and that was higher obviously with Borussia Dortmund. But his touches in the box has increased, uh, his touches in general has decreased. But 
obviously touching the ball higher up the field. Um, he's taken 2.6 shots per 90 with Real Madrid, 1.28 goals per 90 with Real Madrid. That was only 0.27 per 90 with, with Borussia Dortmund. Um, yeah, I, I just think that he's being asked to fill a more attacking role with Real Madrid than he did was with Dortmund. But at the same time, he, he can do both, which makes him so dangerous for when Real Madrid need a player to drop into the middle, give them a little bit more control, progress the ball forward from deeper positions. He, he can do that. And Vinicius is gone now and they don't have a true, true number nine that they're going to rely on when it when it comes down to the crunch. OK, Jose Lewis played there and he, he probably will have to play just based on the fact that they don't have anyone else. But Bellingham when needed, he's going to be able to fill a multitude of roles. And if more injuries happen or, or the game goes against him and tactics need to be changed, Ancelotti can feel safe that Bellingham can play in a variety of different roles too. Yeah. And I, I think fair play to Ancelotti as well for inventing this, this role for him, because it wasn't a given when he arrived that he was going to have to have, you know, this, this number 10 role in a diamond set up for him I assumed he'd just come in and play in the 4-3-3 and, and be a box box midfielder so Ancelotti deserves credit for, for you know for, for kind of going out on a limb at, and and putting Bellingham in this position because you know we, we knew he arrived well in the box and he, he he sort of had that that nose for a goal but Ancelotti's really featured him in the team so far so so fair play. It's it, it's um it's won Real Madrid points already, and it, you know he looks like he's going to be uh, constant throughout the season with with the rate that he's scoring. I mean, I I don't know quite where to put the the marker at for what he's going to reach in terms of goals this season, but with the start he's given himself, you would think he'd be he'd be getting at least fifteen now, uh, and he's he's probably in in the range of of pushing 20. I mean, to, to do that from, from a number 10 position, it feel it feels very old school, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's so interesting to watch. And I guess on the Ancelotti thing, Real Madrid knew that they were getting a special player. They paid money that would suggest they knew he was a special player. I, I just don't think we realized, well, I certainly didn't. And you're, you, you've admitted you didn't that he, he's, he was this special. I just watching him now weekly is it's, it's incredible to think that he's still only 20 and there, there's probably more development to come and it's just it's kind of frightening to think because he's just incredible moving on to the next observation then we've got another player who can do a lot and might might be being asked to do too much for his current side which is Barcelona and that's Frankie de Jong who's averaging 128 touches per 90 that's the most of any midfielder in La Liga by a significant amount de Jong is undoubtedly playing well but with the team's performance is still flattering to deceive his monopoly on touches is is worth highlighting here and we spoke last week about the positional play principles and the fact that Xavi the reason why Barcelona don't look like the team that we expected them to look like three years into Xavi's reign is is because a lot of the players that they brought in have to be trained in positional play principles. De Jong isn't, or or at least doesn't play like a player who who does. He's he's very much a player who progresses the ball, dribbling, creating transitions with his dribbling, 
And I just wonder, is, is the amount of touches that he's getting, the amount of ca- progressive carry yards he has, the amount of carries in general he has, p- progressive carries he has, is that a symptom of this team's underlying frailties? Yeah, it's funny because if you look on Twitter, and, and I know it's not the the best source for, for opinions, but it does give you a wide range of opinions, there's a real split on De Jong in terms of some people who think he's playing like one of the best five midfielders in the world and some people who see Barcelona's problems with, with just general circulation of the ball and being able to control games or, or being unable to control games to, to the extent they want. Some people see him as, you know, one of the one of the factors within that. So I guess so far... It, it's interesting to see just such a big difference between touches on the ball for Barcelona's midfielders. We should say it's you know it's four games, so the, these numbers are likely to come down naturally over the course of a season. But you know, De Jong is really he's really got a monopoly on the ball at the moment for this Barcelona team, and you know he's 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 averaging forty more touches per ninety than 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 Romeu, his midfield partner, who he plays at the base of midfield with so there's a lot on De Jong's play I think he likes being that involved uh, or involved to this extent but another question is whether it's 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 the best for Barcelona because he's not a player in terms of having a high number of touches he's not somebody who's actually setting the rhythm of play and and circulating the ball and putting his teammates in the best position to succeed whereas somebody like Busquets would do that. If Busquets had a hundred touches in a game, you would you would feel confident that Barcelona were were controlling the game well and moving the ball effectively. So I, I think we should say we, we've both been impressed with De Jong's performances, and he's certainly not playing poorly by any means. I think he's been good, but again, it's it, it comes down to is this optimal for Barcelona? That's exactly it, and both things can be true in that he is playing well individually, but playing well individually, getting lots of touches, progressing the team, taking the team on your back, is very different to playing well in a positional play sense in terms of, like you said, adding that rhythm, tempo. That's something that is, it's probably harder for the the, the casual fan to to look at and say, yes, this is just brilliant and uh, honestly I find it hard to diagnose that kind of stuff myself whereas you see De Jong on the ball he's driving forward he's 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 occupying defenders when he drives into space he's dropping back to pick up the ball and build up and he's basically doing everything and that's that's good in its own sense but it's not necessarily what Barcelona need it's not and, and like I said it's a symptom of Barcelona's identity being a little bit torn and I guess that a lot of that you can see that or you could you could almost see in the Barcelona boardroom how that discussion goes in that no De Jong is a special talent but then there's other people who are looking at it from a different angle saying okay he's a special talent but he's not what we need and that's probably why it came back down to the fact that they were trying to get rid of him uh, or or look at the, the reports that they were trying to sell him and obviously they knew that they would probably fetch a decent price for him but I just wonder, would he be better in a team that that 
was was looking for this, was looking for what Frankie Leong brings. And I, I just wonder as well how much this changes when Pedri comes back because De Jong is probably feeling the need to do a lot of what Pedri is doing further up the field. And I think Gundogan has grown into the his his place in Barcelona and he seems to be getting better. But at the same time, Pedri does offer something that nobody in the team offers right now. And De Jong might be feeling the need to fill that gap with with his dribbling forward, progressing the ball, creating chances from there. So it's uh it's an interim interesting one to, to 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 keep an eye on. And at the same time, in terms of attacking sequence involvements for in La Liga this season, Frankie De Jong leads all players with 30, 20 of those have been build-ups to sh- involved in the build-up to a shot. He's, had, he's created seven chances and he's taken three shots himself. So, yeah, I mean, the, the touches itself highlight how, how important he is to Barcelona right now in terms of what he's doing, but also the, his, he's involved in all those attacking sequence involvements too. So we'll move on now to Girona and another team who play a very possession-based style. They are the team with the highest proportion of their passes coming in their own half, 61% of them so far this season after four games. And only Atletico Madrid with 0.18 have taken higher quality shots in terms of XG per shot. So Girona playing really nice possession football but they're also being decisive when it matters up the other end of the field. And, and my question is, and I need to kind of temper my own, uh, temper my own emotions here, but what, what is the ceiling here for this Girona team? <laughs> we, uh, we spoke about it yesterday, actually. I think we both, we, we were both leaning towards top six. And I, I, I do believe that. I think it's a team who have, in terms of fluency, they, they've probably bridged the two seasons, perhaps as well as anyone. I, I, might, I might be missing a few now I think of it, but just in terms of coming into the new season and looking at it straight away, moving the ball well, even with key losses to the team over the summer, they it just looks like Michel's... Michel's philosophy or the things he wants to do is is just so well embedded that they've not really missed the beat so far. And for some people, maybe the the fact at the top was you, you might be thinking it's a little bit of a, a strange combination, but it just goes to highlight the way they're playing. So they're building a lot from their own half. They're stringing lots of passes together to try and pull the opposition out. So they've got space to attack in the opposition half. And that's why, despite playing so much in their own half, they're actually creating big chances at the opposite end. Um, I think they're actually last for shots so far in La Liga, and yet they've looked like one of the best teams going forward. So it just shows you that Michel's plans are working and, and they're producing what he wants at the end of it. They've got they've got ten points so far from four games, and they in in their upcoming games once we're back from the international break they play Granada, Mallorca, Villarreal, and Real Madrid. S- some really 
nice games there. Villarreal in particular and Real Madrid, obviously. But it must be said that Girona are obviously owned by City Group. And aside from the excellent coaching that Michel is doing, he, he, he's, he's really taken a step forward and, and, and embraced the embrace the possibility here with this Girona team but they've also used their muscles not 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 necessarily financial muscles but just in terms of influence being owned by by Manchester City group and they've signed obviously Yankel Herrera who they've had him on loan now for a couple of seasons Yan Koto but they also signed Daily Blind who's we'll talk about in just a second they just landed Eric Garcia, who probably wasn't at Barcelona level, but that looks like it could be an incredible signing in that he can play in a couple of different positions. He can fill that Ariel Romeo role, and he's obviously well-versed in the principles that Michel is trying to implement. They signed Pablo Torre from Barcelona, another player who probably wasn't ready for Barcelona, but could be absolutely perfect for this Girona side. They just signed another 18-year-old, John Solis, even Martin from Villarreal, Savio, Porto, and also Artem Dobbik, the the Ukrainian striker who hasn't started yet, uh, but but has looked good. I, I can't see a weakness in this team. Maybe left back they could they could maybe do with another left back, but even at that they can they can adjust to fill in for if something happens to Miguel Gutierrez. Daily Blind maybe can play there, but this. It just feels like everything is is percolating perfectly here for Corona uh, to push into the top six, and I, I I mean, could they go any higher than that? I mean, I I I'm I'm so interested to see what happens there. <laughs> I I wouldn't like to say higher than top six for now, as much as I'd like to see it. But but like you said, the for the way they want to play that they've got the options that they need i think for for this season we've seen perhaps yeah perhaps perhaps Riquelme was one of the tougher ones to replace because they they lost a real amount of dynamism in the opposition half with him but you've seen how well Savio has played so far he's uh, he's, he's only 19 but he's He's adapted so well to playing in a new league. He he's an excellent ball carrier. He's 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 just added a lot for Girona in terms of hauling them up the field, and he, he's great off the dribble as well. So he can go past players, and and going backwards as well. I, I think he's been good defensively. When you see a Brazilian winger come in, you you think a little bit like, is is this guy, is he going to go both ways or is he? Is he just going to be a flair player? But he's he's very much that. So Dovbik has come in, obviously up front, and he's I think he's a player. Michel is is taking slowly and deliberately. He's spoken about it's going to be quite a bit of an adaptation for him coming in from from Ukraine. Doesn't speak any Spanish. We know Sigankov has made that look easy, but. For, for Dovbik, it sounds like he's going to need a little bit more time, but when he's come off the bench, he, even in the short term, he's looked dangerous. So very, very good uh, for Girona in terms of prospects uh, this season. And then, and then, 
just back to my point about the, the players that they've signed, they seem like they know exactly what they're doing as well. And, and the players that they're trying to highlight, it, it, it makes complete sense in that Daily Blind was brought in and he is basically, he's been given the role of progressing the team when necessary. So in terms of passes, he's made 241 so far this season and 107 of them have been forward passes only Alex Garcia and David Lopez have more passes, but Daily Blind leads the team in forward passes. So he's the, he's the player who decides when the team goes forward, when the time is right, when the opposition are in um, um, the most vulnerable state. We saw that at the weekend against Las Palmas, where he was dictating things. He was getting angry at Miguel Gutierrez when he wasn't dropping to pick up the ball, give, make himself an option. Daily Blind is the perfectly experienced veteran that they needed to build from the back, know when to push, know when to hold it. And yeah, their transfer market business has been really good. They have looked really good and we're very excited about Girona here on La Pausa Pod. So moving on then to Real Betis, who have the lowest XG per game average in La Liga this season, despite looking quite good. Uh, Isco has created 13 chances, but just 0.84 expected assists. They've been they've been quite low quality, and when you watch him playing, he does drop slightly deeper than than you might like. And he's picking up a lot of the ball. He's causing a lot of problems for opposition teams, but not in the areas of the field that are going to necessarily help Real Betis to break down defenses. Yeah, I think from so what we've seen so far in the opening four games, Isco has has been a big talking point. We know that he's he scooped his fourth MVP against uh, against Rio. But to me, for the moment, it feels like Isco is a little bit more aesthetic than being productive, as you just mentioned the stats there. Whereas with Fakir and Canales, who had those roles previously. It felt like there was a little bit more in product, or or so far quite quite a lot more in product, and it's it's something that Betis obviously adapting to losing Canales was one of the biggest shocks of the summer for for anyone across the league. So Isco coming in, he's he's had a good effect. He's he's playing freely, he looks fit and, and confident, but. Despite Betis having a pretty good transfer window, I think we were both impressed by that. It feels like there's still quite a bit of work to be done to figure out how this team gets back to creating the same level of chances that they did with when Fekir and Canales were were pretty much running the team. Yeah, and you asked, you you were asking yesterday whether Easy Abde is going to get into their best eleven as a stand. Iose Perez starts at eleven, or sorry, starts on the left wing. With Isco dropping, dropping off, is there does Abde take Ayose Perez's place, or is that just going to be a, f- a fair fight, fifty fifty minutes, depending on the context, depending on the circumstances? Because I think they they both do bring different things, but one place where, where I was watching him against Rio, and William Jose started. And I feel like maybe, I don't know if Ayose Perez has ever played as a, like a false nine or, or if, or if they can maybe do something with the right wing, move Rodri inside or, or get, get him moving around, around the pitch. 
because it feels like they're just the reason why a lot of these chances are are, are low quality is because they're probably lacking a number nine who who can get himself into those positions and who can make the kind of movements that are going to lead to high quality chances and it just feels like that's what they're missing but what how, how would you design that attack in order to get Perez who has earned a starting place Abde who's going to bring something entirely different and will earn minutes definitely and Rodri who looked really good at Spain under 21s but hasn't really gotten going this season um, for, it, it's it's been intriguing to see Pellegrini has gone away from Borja Iglesias so early on. I don't know whether that's to do with his comments on on the or not comments, but the fact that he withdrew from playing from the national team and Pellegrini seemed to disagree with that. I, I don't know whether that's related to this at all, but it doesn't it doesn't seem ideal that William Jose is playing as the number 9 so far he has scored a few goals but if you wanted to push for that fourth spot then i'm not sure he he's the guy what could come into that is that as you mentioned will Abde get in this team as it stands because i think Ayose Perez has been has been very good for betis he's versatile he's been playing on the left side uh, this season so far, I think he can play behind the striker or as the or as the number nine as well. If 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 Pellegrini sees that too, he has played there a few times for Betis. Um, I think, but I think what Betis will probably try to get to in the end is to have Ezabde and Luis Enrique on both wings, which would be tremendously dynamic for a Betis team that we generally think of as as quite a slow paced team lot, lots of build up lots of patient circulation if if they could add those two on the wings and get them up to speed and where they want their games to go obviously very young players then betis would have a really quite exciting uh, exciting attacking group it's whether is isco locked in at number 10 for, for for the foreseeable future or is Willie Fade, you know, he's not played a lot of football recently. Um, but I guess, I guess we have to give credit for Betis for how they've managed the transfer window and that they've, they're actually in this position now where they've, they've got decisions to make even with Fakir, a long-term injury and, and Canal is gone. You asked a question, just a, a, more like a quick thought experiment on this midfield or, trio in midfield will say would you pick Carvalho Guido Rodriguez Canales from last season or Roca Guido Rodriguez and Isco from this season I, I don't know what your answer to this is I have a, I have a very definitive answer but I want to know what your answer is first <laughs> <laughs> I I would pick Carvalho Guido and Canales that's the correct based answer on, Jamie yeah, based on what I've seen so far um, I I've seen quite a lot of good reviews from Matt Rocker so far, but I thought he played well in the first few games. But since then, I feel like Cavalio is is a much better option in mm. in possession. At least he's he you know he's a ball carrier. 
He's, he's used to having a lot of touches. He takes a lot of responsibility on the ball. Rocker feels a bit more like a a balancing effect on the team. So he's he's neither overly influential on the ball or or in defence. And yeah, as we mentioned before, Isco so far has been very pleasing to watch aesthetically. Is he actually going to produce the level of creation that that Pellegrini wants or or Betis need? Given that the fact they're the team who've created the the lowest quality chances so far this season. Can- Canales was um, he created so many chances for Betis over the years. So, yeah, following that fresco is going to be difficult. No, that's exactly what my thinking was when I was watching Rocca against Rio, and I know that they were kind of sitting on Rocca, and he, but he, he, there was there was there was passages of play where he was he wasn't even making himself an option and he was almost kind of looking over his shoulder waiting for Isco to come and pick up the ball whereas he needs to be the one that's looking for it and then he would drop into the defense to, to pick it up but even at that it, it wasn't like he was he was doing a whole lot when he did pick it up there and it it feels like they're both of those um, Rocca and Guido are, are waiting for Isco and that's exactly, that comes down to the heart of what you're saying and that they're just waiting for him to drop and pick up the ball in non-threatening areas and progress the ball whereas they should be the ones providing for him so that he can then create those better cha- those better quality chances and it just feels like when Carvalho is there he definitely could do that he was powerful enough to defend to fend off potential defender uh, players pressuring him and he was also technically good enough to receive the ball in really tight spaces a and b he was confident enough to know that uh, he was confident enough in his own abilities to say i know that i can receive the ball here pass it to me and his teammates knew that too whereas with Rocca, i don't feel like that's there yet the movement isn't there yet and yeah so and and, and i think that Isco is picking the ball up and winning those MVPs based on the fact that he's getting a lot of touches in non-threatening areas, whereas Canales was doing the same, but but he he was being far more decisive and in in the in the right areas of the field because he had Carvalho playing him the ball and they knew what they were doing. So yeah, it, it's it's I I think it's I think it's a no-brainer that it's the Carvalho Guido Canales trio, and it's something Real Betis are probably going to have to figure out because they looked fine against Rio, but uh, yeah, Rio and, and and Rio set off them a little bit at times and made it difficult for them, but Real Betis are going to have to figure out a way to to create better chances. And yeah, so we'll move on to the next observation. In 2023, only Robert Lewandowski and Antoine Griezmann have scored more non-penalty goals than Take Kubo in La Liga. Kubo has 10 in that time, and he has taken a step forward again this season, it feels like, in terms of goal scoring. And it feels like he is ready now to take over from David Silva in a, in a very different area of the field. No, not very different in a different position on the field, he's starting on the right. But it feels like this could very, very quickly become Kubo season and it, this is going to become his team pretty soon. Well, he's with the rate he's going, He's you would back him to probably reach the end of this year with maybe 15 non-penalty goals to his name, which for a winger playing outside one of the 
top forces in La Liga is is pretty outstanding. And like you said, Real Sociedad without David Silva haven't looked quite so sharp coming into the season. Obviously, they did blow past Granada at the weekend, but Granada probably a team who are going to concede a lot of goals this season. And for Kubo to be producing that much coming off the wing in terms of goal scoring is is just really impressive and credit to Real Sociedad for for picking him up. Even though he's still 22, they picked him up very young and they've really developed him within a very competitive team who are perhaps not as expressive on the ball or create an overwhelming amount of chances. Kubo has, has really found his way and he's he looks like a a well-rounded player who who is actually starting to make the difference on on a pretty regular basis. And obviously, Real Sociedad had to scramble a little bit. They thought they were going to have David Silva for one more year, and he was so important to this team. And he tore his ACL in preseason and retired subsequently. So it has been a little bit of a scramble for them to to, to readjust. They are unbeaten in La Liga with three draws and a win. And they're six points, so six points off the top. Obviously, well, maybe not obviously, but they're not going to be fighting for a title. We would, we would, we presume, but they're probably right where they want to be right now. And it will, I think, it will take a minute for them, as I said, to reshuffle and reorganize because Umar Sadiq coming back from his own ACL injury has been kind of brought on slowly, and Carlos Fernandez had been starting there. And obviously, who, whoever starts at that number nine is going to change things entirely for Bryce Mendez, Mikel Marino, and then whoever starts on the left, Baron Echea or Oyarzabal, and then on the right, which is Kubo's spot. And depending on who that is, Umar Sadiq, for example, it would be a far more offensive option than Carlos Fernandez that might even open up more opportunities for Kubo going forward. Yeah, and uh, I was just wondering, actually, you 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 wonder what it would take in terms of Kubo for just at the level of attacking production for, for Real Madrid to start thinking about, could, could we actually bring this guy back? I know they've signed Arda Goulet, who is, what is he, 18 now, and we've not seen anything of him yet, who is... But he's quite a big bet for them for the future. But from here, what we know now, would would you pick Adegule to go on and have a better career than than Taki Kubo, or to become a an outright better player than than Kubo and what he's showing now? It's it's quite uh It doesn't feel like a, a sure bet. I, I would say. And I think Kubo's own journey tells us just how difficult it is to break into a starting 11 in La Liga. He bounced around for a couple of years, was criticised by, by his managers for not really doing all the things necessary to, 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 to make it as a, as a starter in La Liga. He, he, and, and on the point about him playing on the right wing in a different position, he has a lot of defensive responsibility now with Traore moving further forward. So Kubo, not alone is he scoring the way he is he's got three goals so far this season which is second behind just um Jude Bellingham 
but he's also doing a lot more defensively and he's got a lot of defensive responsibility and he has really matured into the kind of player who you could potentially build a team around and Arda Galair has all that ahead of him yet and we haven't seen him at all so we're going to have to wait and see so moving on to the next one Villarreal this is an area where we, we Jamie we warned them before in the off season we, we, we spoke about Villarreal's goalkeeping situation and Villarreal's Philippe Jorgensen has the worst shot stopping performance among goalkeepers to start every game so far eight goals conceded from 5.8 xg on target faced and it is both indicative of Jorgensen being not not being the most secure goalkeeper but also the chances that Villarreal are giving up and and how open they are how 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 lightly they treat taking the lead how incapable they are of sitting back and just playing in a slightly different style and the whole debate around Setien is is can get a little bit tiring after every loss and everything but in reality if they could just see out a game they beat Barcelona last day which gives them just such incredible momentum and they couldn't do it lost 4-3 and you just wonder we'll talk about Jorgensen first and then we'll talk about Setien is there is there is there a solution here to this <laughs> the solution was to to sign a a proper goalkeeper in in the summer. It's not to say Jorgensen is is not a good prospect. To maybe internally they've seen you know good progression from him and they feel like he can get to a point. But it's clear for now that he's he's not a goalkeeper who's going to save Villarreal or or earn them points. I think he's well as the stat says he's he's lost them points so far and. Even beyond the shot stopping, you think back to the the Betis game where it was late on, Villarreal were, were chasing the game and he threw a ball out. It was a poor throw. Villarreal lost the ball in their own half and conceded um, conceded 90th minute winner from Betis. So it's not just shot stopping, it's it's game management. It's it's playing from the back. He's, he's got a lot of criticism actually in, in home games for how he's built the play from the back. Lots of whistles for, from fans feeling like he's he's being indecisive or he's not playing forward quick enough. So it's just not ideal. And yeah, we'll move on to Villarreal in general, but it's 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 just clear for now that the goalkeeper is, is a problem position and we knew that weeks ago. Yeah, and he, even coming off his line on time, you'd expect him to be good at that. And he, he conceded that penalty against Caddies. They were beaten 3-1 against, against Caddies. Obviously, Pedraza was sent off. And due to Ivan Alejo's antics, and I refuse to talk about Ivan Alejo on this podcast, but, <laughs> but, but um, yeah, losing 3-1 to Caddies, it really isn't a good look. And I just wonder, I, I do fear for Villarreal and Setien this season. We, we, we said it earlier in the, in the, in the, in the during the summer, that Julian Julian Lopetegui is sitting waiting in the wings now. There's a couple of managers there who are out of jobs that could, could potentially take this squad and turn them into something far more difficult to beat. And yeah, a loss to Barcelona, and then the Cadiz one can kind of be explained away with the Pedraza red card early after 22 minutes. But 
I just I, I just worry for this Villarreal team in general. Yeah, it's you wouldn't like to say that Setien or you wouldn't like to put your money on Setien blasting the season at Villarreal. We've said before how quickly it turns for him when when things start to become a bit of a struggle, so it's just uh yeah, to to lose the players that they had in the summer, even though they they brought in players well and they managed the market well in terms of how much they actually spent to to, to bring in those players was it, it was positive, but I just think even with Gerard Moreno playing at a pretty good level, I still just don't see their attacking ceiling being as high this this season, and they're going to have to offset the amount of goals they concede with with goals themselves. So it feels quite an uphill battle for Setien for me. It's always an uphill battle for Setien. <laughs> and our next point, which is one that really surprised me, and if I was given this sentence without the team that we're going to speak about and I had to fill in the blank, only Real Madrid and Barcelona have registered more shots, 40, and touches, 105, in the opposition box than fill in the blank so far this season in La Liga. I would not pick, and our listeners are sitting going, who's he going to say? Celta Vigo. And Rafa Benitez was their big signing of the summer. And he has made them really difficult to beat, or, or difficult to beat, and weirdly productive at creating chance, creating shots in the box, touches in the box. So they're, yeah, they're, they're third in for touches in the opposite box, but they're ninth in expected goals at 4.92. And we, yeah, they, they were beaten in their opening game of the season, but Benitez changed quickly then to a 5-4-1 and has, and has made them look really competitive since. Played some difficult teams, and what 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 do you make of that statistic? What's what's going on here? I think with Benitez's side, it's it's not a case of they're going to create massive chances and and do that regularly. I would say this this stat represents more that they're sustaining some sort of threat and presence in the penalty area, which I think is is probably what you expect from a Benita side or, or is the top end of what you can expect from them intact. So like you said, they've, they've had, I think they've been above like 20 touches in the opposition box in every game so far. And that includes Real Madrid. So the, the change to the, the five, four, one, which becomes a three, four, three in possession has has served them really well so far. And he corrected a pretty, poor opening game against Osasuna to have Celta looking like within their current expectations to, you know looking like a a competitive team and and one that's hard to beat so I guess it's, it's never going to be overly fluent with Benitez and, and the options he has but they're, they're really pushing in, in terms of attack so that's more than some teams can say so far at least they're actually getting into the final third and forcing the opposition to defend. So I'd say it's okay for them for now. And that was the the win against Almeria was their first win of the season. They won 3-2 after taking a two-goal lead. And I, I think 
Anne Maria have been quite unlucky this season, but they look. I hope they don't quit on Vicente Moreno because they have been unlucky this season. And I think that win for Celta Vigo is there's a lot of merit in that because they were really competitive against Real Sociedad. They were, you could say, slightly unlucky against Real Madrid. Jude Bellingham coming up and scoring the winner again. And then obviously they, they beat Al Maria. So I think that Celta Vigo should be just fine under they only had 36% possession in that game and it, as you said it's never going to be fluent with Benitez but just an interesting statistic and one to keep an eye on because yeah they're they're kind of a, a strange team at the moment but and and probably going to finish mid-table which is where they where they should be but I wonder if Benitez can tweak things a little bit more and implement and and assimilate the players that he has now Bamba for example and get them connecting more and and make them even more dangerous and possibly uh, finish slightly higher than mid-table so we'll move on then to 50% of players to appear for Valencia in La Liga this season are aged 21 or under and this is uh, an interesting stat in and of itself but it's interesting because it's not necessarily a plan in that, say, you look at a team like Brighton and Hove Albion, who've got their model and it's working. They're developing players. They're, they're, they're selling players on for incredible amounts of money. And it's just the model is, is well-defined and they know what they're doing. Whereas Valencia's, it's not like, it, it, or it feels like it's, there, it's, this is just the young players are a consequence of the fact that they don't want to pay high wages. They want to sell any kind of a valuable player that they have and the young players are playing and whether they develop or not is just a byproduct of the fact that they have to play. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately that's that's the case. It's it's not an intentional measure. Of course that Valencia always wants to bring young players through, but to this extent is just not ideal to to say it um in the simplest terms. Baraka spoke after the defeat at Alaves and basically said, in very plain terms, the, the squad is short. And given that, everybody is going to have to double their efforts. And does when you're speaking at a press conference, there's not, there's not really a way you can say much more than that or say it more bluntly, you know, without feeling like it's an attack on, on the owners or whatever. And just creating controversy from there so it's very clear that Baraka is is not pleased with with what he's got at squad level obviously the young players are playing and and they're doing well they're holding up but again it's these play these youngsters have got to play 35 plus games this season probably most of them are going to be starts so the alternatives for the youngsters are probably going to be either more youngsters who are from a level below or, or existing players that haven't really convinced at Valencia. So, yeah, tr tricky times. And we said it in our pre-season previews for Valencia before they started the season well in terms of results that this, in the long term, this is not sustainable. Baraka is doing a good job. He's made them tough to beat in defence and, and the, the young attackers are showing up well. But, yeah months down the line this this is inevitably inevitably going to be a problem 
some of the some of the young players of note that have played uh, Javi Guerra has played 242 minutes Fran Perez 246 minutes and Diego Lopez 280 minutes Lopez 21 and the other two are about 20 and the uh, over 21 then you've got a couple of players like uh Mamardashvili who feels like he's been around for about six years he's only 22 Andre Almeida is only 23. You've got Cenk Oskasar, who's just 22. So a lot of young talent there, but again, it's not an intentional plan. It's just something that's happening because of the fact that it's all that they've got. And now we'll move on to Las Palmas, who lead all sides for high turnovers in La Liga, 47, but are among the bottom three ranked sides for XG, shots inside the box and touches in the opposition box. So, in simple terms, they're turning over the ball high, but they're not turning those high turnovers into chances. Yeah, it's it feels watching Las Palmas. Obviously, we had the example of them against Girona at the weekend. It feels like they are trying to do similar things to Girona, but just really missing the final part, which Girona have have got down to a T so far. But I'm not I'm not overly down on Las Palmas so far. I think they've only conceded one goal from open play. You, you could counter that with saying they haven't scored from open play themselves, but, you know, these games are, are played on quite fine margins and they've controlled games for a lot of that. I guess the... The disappointing part for me so far is is perhaps not an unexpected, but the performance from the, the wingers that they've got, Sandro, Munir, Pachino, against Girona, it was clear. Both teams were pretty level in terms of open play for how they moved the ball, uh, quality in possession, but the big difference was the quality on, on the wings from, from both sides. And Las Palmas, for all the good work Garcia Pimienta has done and continues to do, they're just at a deficit in terms of talent in the final third. So this is something they have to work on, obviously. I think Sorry Cabba has looked pretty good as the number nine. So it's just about continuing with with their identity. And I, I think the goals will come eventually. Because there's a lot of good parts of the game. They arrive well in the final third. They have been unlucky at times. And yeah, they've played difficult teams as well. They've gone toe-to-toe against Real Sostad in Girona in the last two. And only lost by a single goal across... Or only conceded a goal across the two games. So there are positives. I'm not too down on them so far. I think that Alberto Moleiro will definitely improve that that situation that you just spoke about on the wing or in that central attacking area. Once he does make his debut, he's a 19-year-old kid to watch out for, for for Las Palmas. And I also think that, sorry, Cava has looked good, but he's also not, he's looked good in a, in a, effort, in terms of his effort, in terms of his ability to, to, create to to battle with center backs and create um what's the word like create uh what's the word i'm looking for like yeah like advantages like holding up the ball yeah 
yeah holding the ball and stuff like that but he's not he, he's not sorry Kaba is not the kind of player who's going to get into the box and and create a lot of those chances when they do turn the ball over so maybe if he can develop that side of his game and if, if Garcia Pimienta can 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 highlight that as something that he needs to improve on then automatically they become a far more dangerous team and like you said they went toe-to-toe with a couple of those big teams and they've looked good and yeah I wouldn't be too worried about them it was always going to be a tough season for them they're doing it in their way and it hasn't looked absolutely disastrous so far so I mean I think they have to stick with it and 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 like you said the goals will come they'll 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 figure out those autumn automizations and if that's the word is is it automizations automa whatever you want to call it and yeah i think things will be good for las palmas and finally after four rounds mallorca are the only team who haven't led at any led at any point in la liga this season they played or they played las palmas Villarreal, granada and athletic club two good draws against athletic club and against Las Palmas, and they were defeated by Villarreal and Granada. So, yeah, Mallorca, very defensive team. They haven't led, and their whole identity is built around taking the lead, if they can, and sitting back defending them. Exactly, yeah. It's uh, it's a huge problem if, if they can't find those leads by, by, by some means, whether it's a set piece or direct attack, Marici nodding a crossing. Problem is, Canyon Lee has gone this season and that was such a well-defined partnership last season. And he was a player who could, or he did have that inventive streak to him. Where that comes from this season, I'm not exactly sure. I wrote about Sergi Dardé recently. Coming from an Espanyol team where he had the creative burden to to a huge extent and watching Mallorca so far, it feels like it's going to be quite a lot more of the same for him individually. I guess the problem is he's playing in an orthodox midfield role. So he's not playing as further forward as Kangin Lee did. He's not in the same positions. He's got to balance that creative responsibility with the fact that Mallorca spent a lot of time without the ball more even more so than Espanol did. So there's a real creative problem here. And now they've got two actual target men to play with as well. Maybe Kyle Larin is a little less of a target man than Marici, but there's two big guys in the box and they have to be given service by some means. And if it's not that air, then it's it's crosses from wing backs which opposition teams are are very aware of and it's it's not too difficult to to prevent that um that quality from wide areas uh, and crossing opportunities so very flat start by Mallorca uh, to say the least and it was it was probably silly to think that Sergi Dardair was going to step in to Kang In Lee's position and just like a plug and play device it, it was never going to be like that because it just shows the c- complexity as it is and you you change one thing and all of a sudden the whole system gets thrown out of whack and it's it's kind of hard to predict for it and it's, it takes time to develop those partnerships and understand each other's movement and stuff like that and I would rely on Sergi Dardar to get it right and to figure it out with his with his 
with Larin and Mariki up front. But yeah, it's going to take time. And look, at the end of the day, they probably figured that they were going to be fighting relegation or somewhere in around there anyway. So two good draws, as I said, against Athletic Club and Las Palmas. And they probably felt, probably would have felt like Granada was a good chance to take three points, but they lost that one. And But yeah, they're probably right where they thought they would be at the start of the season anyway. So that does it for our 10 observations. We've gotten through them in... And I hope that they were insightful enough. We said we would do a Q&A for the interna- international break. So keep an eye on our Twitter for the call for questions for that or else just tweet us and ask us a question. As for keeping an eye on the analyst for our work, I'll be turning these 10 observations into an article this week. And Jamie is working on a Jude Bellingham article. He has already gone pretty deep on what Bellingham will add to Real Madrid at the start of the season. But now we have some concrete proof, some evidence and stats to back up just how influential influential we think that he can be and has been so far. So I keep an eye out for that one from Jamie. Um, so yeah, we'll leave it there for this week's pod from myself and Jamie at La Posa Pod HQ. It's adios. <laughs>